My name is Jay Lasseter, and I am perhaps the most notorious ex-drug addict in all of New Jersey. Big Pharma is big business. Opiates are big business. This epidemic was created by the corporations that are involved in it. Jay Lasseter, and today we're going to talk about the opiate industrial complex and just who's getting rich off of your addiction to opiates like heroin and oxycodone. There are dozens of examples why opiates, both illegal and legal, are big business. Well, I'll never forget the first time I saw a television ad for a drug called Movantic. It is a prescription drug that's used to treat opioid-induced constipation. If you saw the 2016 Super Bowl, you saw the ad too. I don't know which part was more surreal, America's collective opioid-induced constipation or the obscene multi-million dollar advertising juggernaut rolling out this new product in such a high profile way. I mean, damn, a Super Bowl ad? Now, two quick points. First of all, the side effect that worries me most about opiates is addiction, not constipation. And secondly, is America really that hooked on opiates that we can't even take a decent poop anymore? Well, apparently we are. It's so bad that Big Pharma just dropped $5 million on a 30-second ad to roll out their newest opioid-related moneymaker. Even people who aren't into sports knows what a big deal Super Bowl ads are. That's because Big Pharma is big business. Opiates are big business. Illegal opiates like heroin are big business, and legal opiates like oxycodone are big business too. In other words, there are people out there right now prospering and getting rich off of our addiction to this stuff. Doctors, drug makers, shady halfway houses, rehab centers. It's all very, very big business indeed. Acknowledging just how big business this is, is helpful if we're gonna actually clear up this problem. Pharmaceutical companies make $24 billion a year just on pain pills, just on opioids. So I'm here with Scott Rutter, who is a former assemblyman and a former mayor. You're a Republican, you're a lobbyist. Um, I was going to reach out to you for a later episode to talk about the intersection of, of cannabis and heroin, but I Googled something and you came up and I wanted to talk to you about something much more urgent. And you actually described it as the heroin industrial complex and you called it America's dirty secret. That's a really provocative title. Yeah, I actually it's the it's the opioid industrial complex, but it's the same thing, right? Because heroin is an opioid. And what we're what we've learned, so you know, if that is not this is not something I intended to go after. After. This is not. This was not my original mission: is to uh, to go after the opioid epidemic and or, or use cannabis as a method for being an off ramp for addiction. First, a quick history lesson. Back in 1961, then President Eisenhower used the expression "the military-industrial complex." in his farewell speech to warn Americans to keep an eye on who prospers on the ravages of war. Opiate industrial complex is just a riff off of that expression, and I like it. Because let's face it, the cycle of addiction is hard to break, especially when people are making money off of your addiction. There's 300 million uh, prescriptions last year for opioids. There's 330 million Americans. I mean, that's almost one prescription per American. That just goes to show you that this epidemic this epidemic was created by the corporations that are involved in it. It was because people feel comfortable. Look, you know, I get it. You know, and, and again, pharmaceutical companies are all bad. They, they produce a great amount of medicine that is really helpful for people. And, and they do magnificent things. 
but for some reason on this subject, on this particular brand, this type of pill, um, they continue the process and they, they exploit addiction and they continue to make money off of it. And like I said before, you know, when you start to really think about how they're treating addiction, they're treating addiction with another opioid. And, and that, there, there's a fundamental problem with that. Scott then shared a story that's playing out in families all over the state. The saddest part of this story is just how common these scenes have become. I have a very dear friend of mine whose son became a heroin addict. And what he, his son's situation was, and it's, a, and it's a very common, unfortunately a very common situation, he was a, a college athlete, uh, he was a wrestler, and uh, sustained a significant injury while wrestling, and uh, the doctors keep prescribing opioids. You know, you gotta go back out there, deal with the pain, you gotta go perform. So he starts dealing with that, then he graduates from college. Now that, that constant supply of opioids is gone. So what does he do? He turns to the street, gets hooked, addicted to heroin. The number one reason that people get addicted to heroin is from the prescription that was approved by the FDA and produced by a pharmaceutical company. This ad addiction epidemic, this opioid epidemic, didn't exist the way it exists today 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. The, the reason it's ramped up is because the pharmaceutical companies start to see that profit. And they, see the, they start to see that profit from that one individual. That one individual that had that injury has now become a five-year customer. You know, and then you start to multiply that. And like I said, 300 million prescriptions in, in one year. I mean, that's outrageous. You know, we consume 99% of the oxycodone in the, on the planet. That's outrageous. And it is outrageous. And it's outrageous that our politicians are still kind of dragging their feet on real solutions. Did you know that November 7th is election day and that whoever replaces a term limited Chris Christie is going to have a big battle on their hands? So what do you think the next governor, because um, we're having a new governor very soon, should do especially since so many of these big pharmaceutical companies are right here in New Jersey. Yeah, we, New Jersey houses uh, 14 of the 20 largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. Regardless of who wins an election in November, you know, we need to continuously challenge, uh, despite the fact these are great employers and they generate a lot of revenue for the state, we need to start to challenge the methodology in which they, they're prescribing opioids. And we've taken some good first steps uh, through state law. Uh, more steps need to happen. And as I was saying before, there needs to be significant alternatives to pain management. I think that's, that's the key, that's the key. Many alternatives, including medical cannabis or right. massage or right. Motrin or ice Correct. or rest. Correct, and, and that's the thing, we've become, we've become so accustomed to this, the doctors keep prescribing them. You know, they have marketing guys are out there, we, we see it on the radio. And I think it's just a common thing where, oh, well, the FDA has said it was okay, so it must be okay. Oh, the pharmaceutical companies, they're great people, so it must be okay. And the reality is, it's not okay. You know, when, when the tobacco companies were first being brought before Congress, all the, all the CEOs, all the executives denied that tobacco was addicting. Um, they denied that they were adding things to uh, the nicotine and, and to the cigarette that would cause, uh, you know, cause that addiction to be more severe. So they made all those denials, and then it was proven that it was, and they all came back and said, we're sorry about that. And then we saw, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars going out to different states in, in a settlement agreement the United States uh, worked out with the tobacco companies. So they think you're going to see the same thing. Tobacco has dropped off significantly in the United States. A lot of public education that went, went with that, and a lot of the crackdown that happened as result of the government cracking down. We need to see that happen with the opioid epidemic. Those anti-tobacco lawsuits he referred to, those came about in the mid-1990s when various attorneys general around the nation went after Big Tobacco for marketing their product in a deceptive way 
severely downplaying the risks and the potential for addiction. Sound familiar? Hello, Big Pharma. So it didn't end well for Big Tobacco back in the 1990s. And since then, smoking has gone down considerably. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from the sponsor for Heroin Uncut, Carrier Clinic. We'll be right back. New Jersey 101.5's exclusive series Heroin Uncut is made possible in part by Carrier Clinic. Those suffering with mental illness or addiction need care. New Jersey's Carrier Clinic offers compassionate care, redefining behavioral health care with holistic approaches beyond medicine. When it's time to think about behavioral health care, think Carrier. Learn more at CarrierClinic.org. Fortunately for us here in the Garden State, New Jersey has an attorney general who is treating this heroin opiate crisis with the urgency that it deserves. My name is Chris Perino, and I'm the attorney general of New Jersey. Four out of five heroin addicts get their start in a doctor's office, and last year, you caught my attention because you went after some of these doctors who were overprescribing. The eight out of ten heroin addicts walking the street having become addicted through the use of prescription painkillers, whether they got it direct from a doc or it was diverted along the way. That number, when I heard it first, I said, it can't be right. Same. I said, you know, do me a favor, go back and check with the experts and, um, and let me know if that's really the case. And they came back a couple days later and said, no, you know, we think, we think that that is absolutely the case. And the CDC agrees if 80% of the people who were addicted and who were dying from addiction started through the use of these pills, then if you're going to focus on prevention, which is where we spend most of our time as it relates to uh, thinking about these issues, then it's as simple as reducing uh, the number of pills available uh, as well as providing education. And so we looked at those two buckets, education, uh, and reduction of supply, and we thought about ways in which to attack it. Attorney General Perino's focus on prevention is refreshing because it's really nice to meet a policymaker who's smart enough to know that an ounce of prevention is worth a dozen trips to rehab. My department, as broad as it is, is better suited to change the way these pills hit the street or to reduce the number of pills that hit the street. We're not as well suited um, to make great strides on the treatment side of things. Once you're getting Narcan, um, you know, you're, you're, you're already addicted yep. in all likelihood. And once you're addicted, unless you're fortunate enough uh, to find yourself uh, in a setting where you're getting really good treatment, you're gonna die. Just let that sink in for a minute. You know, I talk about sort of this dirty, deadly trick. Um, you know, the reason eight out of 10 heroin addicts became heroin addicts through the use of opioid painkillers is because the barrier to entry, you know, if you're, at a, if you're at a party or you're hanging out with friends, my guess is that if someone walks in and says they have a bag of heroin that they bought on the corner downstairs on Market Street and a needle and, and, you know, an offer to get high, you know, most people are saying, well, like, I'm not sure I want to go there. Um, you know, tell that same story. You're at a party somewhere and someone walks over with a prescription bottle that came from a doctor with pills in it that came from a, from a pharmacy. 
And you say, well, okay, it's not going to kill me, at least. What matters is reducing the number of pills that are out there that are available for people to take. And, and so, you know, the first rule that, uh, that we did with, with the governor's um, leadership um, around his State of the State speech was to say, you know, you can't walk in anymore, have a wisdom tooth extracted, and end up with a 30-day supply. I'm sure the number of pills on the street has dropped, and we'll look forward to seeing some stats on that down the road. But one thing I know that happened, because I heard it myself, was awareness went way up. Doctors are, you know, they're smart, they work hard, they want to do the right thing, um, and they communicate with one another. And boy, did the medical profession in New Jersey start to communicate. Some lashed out. That was fine. We were happy to have that conversation okay. too. Um, but at the end of the day, they spoke. They spoke loudly. And the word got back you know, through the medical profession to the patients that the game all of a sudden was changed. Why don't you explain to, to the listeners what, uh, what, what Governor Christie did recently that's going to put a dent in this crisis? We sat around and we talked about, you know, what else can we do? Uh, and this concept of making sure that doctors are properly motivated when they prescribe uh, medicine for patients is one that, you know, has been a real concern for us. You know, 60 or $70 million poured in uh, to New Jersey doctors from pharmaceutical manufacturers and device manufacturers to physicians. And uh, we looked at that further and we saw that a very large percentage of that $70 million went to several hundred doctors. Uh, and based on investigations that we can't talk publicly about, we were seeing instances where we believe that doctors um, were effectively being paid to prescribe. Obviously, if doctors are being paid either directly or indirectly to prescribe this poison, then that's unacceptable and horrifying, which is why these new rules from the Christie administration, which are set to go live later this year, are such a refreshing cause for optimism. Going forward, uh, doctors are no longer permitted to take a benefit from a pharmaceutical company that isn't in a few uh, specified categories. So, you know, the days of, of, you know, doctors or pharmaceutical reps coming into doctor's offices with, you know, big lavish trays of food and, and the, you know, the, the trinkets and the gifts and the, you know, the electronics and the trips and the dinners and the wine and all of that. Um, we said, you know, bright line, no more. But if Big Pharma is lavishing valuable gifts and prizes on doctors for the purpose of ginning up opiate sales um, to the tune of many millions of dollars, look, you, you said yourself that it was most of this was limited to a very small number of doctors, including a few dozen who are making over $200,000 a year. So you're putting a $15 cap on, on these things, and, and you can only meet four times a year with a pharma rep. And... That should definitely put a dent in the, how many, was it $70 million? Yeah, almost $70 million. And look, the, you know, for, for a farmer rep to even come in with a two or $300 tray of food into a doctor's office, you know, that arguably impacts how the staff uh, is going to behave in respect of that pharmaceutical company. And that has nothing to do with the efficacy of the medication 
and really should have nothing to do with whether they have, you know, an invitation to come in or not. Um, but as we've seen from some of the criminal cases that we've had uh, recently, you know, one bad doctor, you know, and, and recent one we talked about as a alleged, um, you know, drug dealer in a, in a white coat. Um, one bad doctor like that can put an awful lot of opioid painkiller on the street. And, um, and so, you know, they're in the minority, uh, but, but we have to be careful to make sure that, uh, that the rules are clear and that physicians understand what the rules are and how they can avoid breaking them. Ferreting out bad actors in the medical community does us all a favor especially physicians who remain the gatekeeper to that first prescription in many cases. So we're focusing on limiting the number of pills out on the streets. We're putting sensible limits, uh, sensible marketing regulations, and hopefully we're uh, raising the barrier to opiate addiction. I pray that um, the numbers will start to reflect, um, you know, some of the, uh, some of the efforts that are being undertaken. Um, but, but I know that this is a marathon. This problem is deep. It took a lot of years uh, to take, you know, it took hold over a, over a large number of years. This didn't start, you know, two, three, four, five years ago. Uh, it's been in process for a long time. And I fear that it is gonna take um, uh, a long time to, you know, fight our way out of it. But yeah, you know, we have to start somewhere, and I think uh, I think we're off to uh, to a good start here in New Jersey. Before we go, let me close with this: I did not vote for Chris Christie either time, but on this topic on New Jersey's opiate addiction, he's actually quite good. His attorney general, who you just heard from, is superb. But the attorney general is a political appointment, and in a couple months, we're going to have a new governor, and we're probably going to get a new attorney general as well. My advice to whoever takes over is either keep Chris Perino on or hire someone just like him. Phil Murphy or Kim Guadano, whoever you hire as your attorney general, make sure they know their stuff. This needn't be a political plum appointment. There are dozens of other jobs that you can put your people in. Don't make the attorney general one of those plums. That's all for now. I'm Jay Lasseter. This has been Heroin Uncut presented by NJ1015.com and sponsored by our friends at the Carrier Clinic. Please subscribe to the Heroin Uncut podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or at the NJ1015 app. Until next time, please let us know what you think. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Heroin Uncut, and I hope you'll head over there now and let us know what's on your mind. What is behavioral health care? Uh, help with their emotional and mental health. I've heard of it, but I don't know. Carrier Clinic thinks differently about behavioral health care, applying new scientific advances to treat mental illness and addiction, replacing routine care programs with alternative treatments and new measurable levels of compassionate care, leading to better patient outcomes. For the best in behavioral health care, think Carrier. For more information, visit carrierclinic.org.